Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth. Thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament. Um, we're at chapter 16. We're going to begin with verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of jo Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. So we're talking about the kingdom of Judah, not the kingdom of Israel, and who's uh, next in line for the throne. Um, that's who we're discussing. Verse 2, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, his God, as his father David had done. So although the last couple of chapters we were reading about how wicked the kings of Israel were considered by the narrator, now we're reading here, apparently, now it spreads to the kingdom of Judah also that uh, their ruler was considered uh, flawed. Verse uh, one other thing, he's only 20 years old, so it's sort of more of the fulfillment of the prophecies that were given before, that when the people fell out of being faithful to God, and I'll just say it's God since it's how it reads, or Lord, the Lord, however you, whichever deity it is they're uh, praying to, the prophecy was that once they weren't faithful anymore, and I'm paraphrasing, then the kingdoms, the people, would then be ruled by women and by children, um, in, implying that um, a degradation of the kingdom. Uh, not that I believe women are inferior rulers. Um, obviously, children probably shouldn't be rulers since they don't have the life experience, but just how it read, so that's why we're reading it, and it seems to be happening now. Youngins seem to be taking over the throne, and we've had a couple of bad ladies, uh, women, be the rulers also so far. Verse 3, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his sons pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. <clears throat> Excuse me again. So now the um, sin or abomination, the problem that the narrator is identifying that the new king has is that he's doing just like the kings of Israel. Like I was just saying, they were considered wicked for their idolatry as what it's called in the Bible. In modern times, it just be called a different religion. They're worshiping different gods in plain English. Um, and one of the things they do in worshiping um, those entities is apparently passing through the fire. So um, the modern equivalent of that is when people... Um, it called firewalk or walk on hot, hot coals. It's the same thing. Um, you're walking through the fire and it um, may not have the same uh, dedication in modern times, but in biblical times, what we're reading here, it's um, dedicated to a certain entity called Molech. And that's considered idolatry because it's worshiping another deity rather than the one that the um, People have been uh, told to worship Jehovah in um, English. Verse 4, And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So he didn't limit his worship, the new king, to um, just Molech as the passing through the fire, um, but also other entities burning incense to them on the high places. That's what keeps the recurring theme. People like to go up to the high place to get closer to God, but the God that they're getting closer to isn't necessarily the one that you might think. Like we read again and again, lots of different entities are being worshipped by the people throughout the Bible. 
not just one or two or three. Uh, verse five, then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to, to Jerusalem to make war. And they besieged. Ahaz could not overcome him. So Ahaz is in power. He's young and um, he's worshiping lots of different entities. And in the meantime, it seems the narrator is setting it up. Um, to say that the reason those different powers, those different countries, those other um, uh, armies are able to go up against them and even defeat them and take land from them is because of the idolatry, worshiping other entities. And so here, um, the king of Syria is uh, one more that's risen up against them and fighting against Ahaz and his kingdom and defeating him. Verse six, at that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. Then the Edomites went to Elath and dwelt there to this day. So um, the area that's been conquered and taken by the Syrians from the Israel, kingdom of Israel, or actually from the kingdom of Judah, I guess it would be, um, uh, is named Elath. And the people that are occupying it are the Edomites. And it's the same people that are actually um, um, uh, relatives of the Israelites because Edom is from Esau, which is the brother of Israel, uh, also named Jacob. And we read about all of that previously. And all, like I've said before, some preachers will, will try and tell you Edom is talking about Russia because it translates to red, but that's not the case. Edom and Idumea are the same. It's Idumea in the Greek in the New Testament and it's Edom in the Old Testament, and the Edomites are the people of that area. And again, they're the same relatives of the Israelites. Um, and so it's the, also the area called Edom that's right there around the Jordan River, not far western, far eastern uh, Europe at all. Um, but as always, believe what you want. Some versions of the Bible will read instead of Edomites, it'll say Syrians instead that that's who went in and colonized or occupied the area that was taken, that area called Elath. Um, I'm using the New King James Version as usual, um, the red letter version, and in it, it's using Edomites, but it does include the note that some versions of the Bible may say Syrians. Verse 7, so Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I'm your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. So Ahaz, the king of Judah, is seeking help from foreigners from the kings of Assyria. And we've already read in the previous chapter that the captivity, as it's called, the capture of the people of um, the tribes and being taken from their own land and transported to another has already begun. The Assyrian kingdom empire uh, has now been... Um, part of the story. And the Assyrians exist in history also outside of the Bible. Um, so if you've ever seen some of those pictures from the uh, Far East, Middle East, where it has like the giant pillars with the people with the curly hairs and um, uh, on all the different statues and carvings and stuff, it's those same people, the Assyrian Empire. And Tiglath-Pileser is what the name is being translated from here. But we saw um, pull or put is also how it's translated in other parts of the scriptures, but it's the same person. It's the king of Assyria that he's asking to ally 
uh, with him, align with him against um, the other tribes who make up the kingdom of Israel, but also against the Syrians, not Assyrians, but the Syrians, the same Syria that exists in modern times. He's looking for help, help to fight with them, to defend himself against them. Verse 8, and Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So he needs allies from Assyria. And so to encourage them uh, to help him, he's sending them gifts. He's sending them presents. He's sending them money, silver and gold specifically, um, to help with the war as an inducement to get them to come on and join him to fight against the kingdoms of Israel and the country of Syria. Um, verse 9, so the king of Assyria heeded him. For the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to Kerr, and killed Rezin. So the king of Assyria accepted the gift, the prize, the money, and he's done what he's been asked to. He's gone and fought against the Syrian kingdom, Syrian country, um, conquered part of it, Damascus, which, if I remember right, is the capital city of, uh, of Syria and also taking captive some of the people from there. So um, it's not just the Israelites, the uh, uh, Judeans being carried, conquered and carried away captive by the Assyrians. Um, even some of the Syrians are being conquered and taken away also. And their king, Rezin, was killed. Verse 10, now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah, the priest, or Uriah, depending on how you want to pronounce it, the priest, the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. So now the king of, of Judah has gone to meet his helper, the one who helped him in the war and the battles and the fights, Tiglath-Pileser, the Assyrian king. He's gone to Syria to go meet up with him, presumably to thank him for helping him. Um, but also while he's there, he's taking note of how the altar is set up, the worship place of worship is set up uh, in that country, and he likes it, so he's um, taking down its design plans, presumably to take back with him. Verse 11, then Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. So as far as we know, they didn't have a postal service, but they still had some sort of messenger service that he's able to get the message back to his own kingdom of the kind of altar he wants built for his worship um, while he's still in Syria. And while he's done that, the priest who's still back in uh, Judah has the altar built. Verse 12, and when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. So the king made it back from Syria, uh, meeting with the Syrian king. He's back in his own kingdom now. He sees the altar he had uh, 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 made. Uh, he sees it, and uh, he's beginning to use it. Verse 13, so he burned his burnt offering and his grain offering, and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. So um, he's starting with the altars, uh, with the offerings, with the new altar he had built. And the, these different offerings that are mentioned are similar. They're basically the same ones we read about previously, um, where um, the grain 
and the other things, the animal sacrifices, they're made on that altar and pouring out um, a drink offering on it also reminds me of the high modern times where people will pour out a drink to the dead. Like uh, it's uh, common at funerals for people to do that. Um, but also the sprinkling of the blood on um, uh, as a peace offering, basically of making peace with God by sprinkling blood on the altar. So um, all prescribed things that they were supposed to be doing, but not necessarily supposed to be doing with that altar or to the entities that he's doing it to. So he's basically taking the forms of worship that were prescribed to be done for the God of Israel, Jehovah, basically, and using it in his worship ceremonies for the entities he worships. Verse 14, he also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. So he's moved the altar that was put up there before, uh, that was fine for worship before, and replacing it, moved it out of its place, and now replacing it with the new altar he had requisitioned um, or made from um, that he saw in Syria. Verse 15, then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, on the great new altar burn the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice, and his grain offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering and their drink offerings, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice and the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. So he's saying, use this new altar that I had made for all those other offerings. And the original one, the bronze one we made that was made to um, make sacrifices and approach the Lord, uh, the Jehovah, the Lord that the people worship previously. He's saying he'll just use that offering, that uh, altar for his own personal use for inquiring of the Lord, meaning when he needs answers from God, he will use that altar for that. But otherwise, the brand new altar that he had built, that's what's going to be used now for all those other offerings for the people and um, for the rest of the kingdom to use. Um, that's not what God really, if you're going to call it, the, the, the scriptures say God or, or the Lord. It's not really what was originally uh, told, what they were originally told to do, but it is how he's adapting it. How will it be received? Verse 16, thus did Uriah the priest, according to all that King Ahaz commanded. So the priest is being uh, loyal to what it is the king's telling him to do. Religion and politics are working together. Verse 17, and King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts and removed the labors from them. And he took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a pavement of stones. So he's dismantling, the king Ahaz is dismantling the different articles that were created during the time, uh, during the reign of previous kings, including Solomon, when those, it's basically a pool, it's called the sea, but it's basically a pool, an above ground pool that was set on top of those um, um, cast metal oxen, all part of the ceremony of the religion for making the different offerings and cleansing them and all of that stuff. He's basically breaking it all down and using it, repurposing it, I guess would be the way to think of it, um, for new worship. Verse 18, also, he removed the Sabbath pavilion, which they had built in the temple, and he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king 
of Assyria. So he's doing some redecorating. He's tearing down some of the other structures that were put up um, previously and um, reworking it to his own liking. And it's saying uh, on account of the king of Assyria, um, not sure what he means by that, what it means by that, maybe, um, maybe an entrance way uh, or maybe a dedication to the king of Assyria. Not really sure what it means by that he did it on account of the king of Assyria, but he did it. Verse 19, now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So the narrator here, scribe, whoever it is that's passing on the message of Second Kings, is letting us know if we want to read more about it, we can read more about King Ahaz and his actions in the book of, books of the Chronicles, which I might have misspoken and said we read those previously in a previous reading but actually, they're the next books to come in the Bible. Um, so we hadn't quite gotten to them yet. But most likely, we'll read uh, re, uh, read more detailed accounts of some of these same actions once we get to them. God willing, we get to them. Verse 20, so he has rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. So now Ahaz's time came and went, and his son has succeeded him to the throne. Um, Hezekiah is now the king in his place. Um, that was the last verse of this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for the Naked Truth. And before I wrap it up, um, uh, uh, I have to thank someone. I'm not sure who. I thank God, but thank whoever it is. I'm not sure who. Someone out there must like me because there's a mirror version of my uh, website out there. Um, it's basically the exact same way that I left it, um, but with a different URL that you'd have to type in to get to it. Um, and it's really long, so I'm not going to say what it is here, but I will include a link to it just in case you're interested in before it does get, in case it does get deleted permanently or wiped out somehow, in case you're interested in reading any of the past um, um, Naked Truth uh, episodes or interested in um, reading the Gospels, because we went through those too, um, and I have them up there on the site. If you're interested in seeing them, now would be the time to get them if you can, if you want to download the versions of them from there. Or if you're interested in the adult content from my site there, um, it seems to still also be intact there. But again, I don't know who's put it up there. Thank you, whoever it is. Um, or why it's there or how long it'll last. Um, it's out of my hands at this point. But if you're interested in any of it, this would be the time to go ahead and access it if you're interested in that. Um, so like I said, I'll put a link to it in the description of this video here on Anchor. That's This is where I'm reading, um, broadcasting this podcast from, um, in case you're interested in seeing there. And I put it in a couple of the more recent um readings here on the naked truth also if you want to look back on the uh, descriptions of the videos from them um so thank you whoever you are and thank you for re reading along with me and joining me for the naked truth god willing i'll see you next time stay safe i love you peace be with you